if you meet 100% of the requirements for a job description, you're already overqualified. So I have to shift mindsets. Like it's not enough for me to say, you don't have to meet 100% of the qualifications because when you're in that mindset of thinking that you do, it's not enough to say you don't have to meet it. I have to say, if you meet 100%, you're already overqualified. And then the light bulb goes off. You're like, wait a minute. Welcome to the Whiskey and Lemon podcast. I am your host, Lana Mercedes. I am your guest, Jen Tardy. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I always love having these conversations. I feel like I'm not giving you due diligence to just say hiring and career consultant. So can you just give us like your full on spiel and like tell me how you kind of got started and one thing the audience wouldn't know about you by looking at your social media? Interesting. So um, I am one of the things that I, that I tell people. So I've been in the world of recruiting for the last 15 years, and um, I started off as a recruiter, moved all the way up to recruiting, to managing recruiting leaders. Okay. And um, and so I know this world of recruiting inside and out. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I started to see was that there were so many qualified people, specifically those from historically underrepresented groups who were interviewing and they were not getting the job. And so I knew that I wanted to make a difference, but I wanted to make a, a bigger impact than just specifically the company that I was working within. And so, you know, I left corporate America in 2018, started my own business. I started off just coaching job seekers. Um, and then I expanded the business into working with employers. And so we um, share with people that Jennifer Trotty Consulting is we work with two audiences on one end. We help job seekers to navigate the bias that's in the hiring process. And then on the other end, we train employers to identify and mitigate the bias so that more people can not only get employed, but they can get promotions as well, too. So let's see something that people wouldn't know about me by looking at my website. Um, you will know that I have two little boys. Um, let's see. <laughs> one of my favorites. Okay. One of the things that I love to do to just waste time is I love stand-up comedy. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. Okay. And, and I'll, if I find a comedian that I like, it's almost like the flavor of the month. I'll watch that same episode over and over and over <laughs> and over again as I'm falling asleep. And I don't know why. Maybe we should ask the therapist. <laughs> ah, so that's your favorite. Do you have any other like main kind of like categories that you got like to get into or like comedians that you love? It's just, it. you know what I'm learning? Um, I just Googled yesterday what deadpan comedy is. Have you ever heard of deadpan comedy? It's a weird mm -hmm. name. But have you ever seen people who are so funny, yet they never laugh at their own jokes? Yeah, like they it's just like, like they're not trying to humor. be funny. It's just natural. Is that what yes. you mean? Yeah, like, yes. like super dry humor. Oh. I am. Yeah. So I like that kind. Okay. So the, the comic of choice that I'm on lately is Nate Bargetsy. I mean, it's so okay. random, so random. But, um, but, you know, of course, I still love the, um, the Chris Rocks and 
the Cat Williams and the um, Dave Chappelle's. And okay. but yeah, I, I still like the Sebastian Mini Scalcos. Anyway, so yes, yeah, I love. I like his I little his Ross about. skit. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I know all about uh, him. <laughs> you, you know all about Sebastian, right? Yes, he's great. So, yeah, <laughs> he's sort of like that. Like he makes these jokes. Wait, like, why don't you laugh at your own jokes? It's so funny. It's like dry humor. <laughs> yeah, it's on, on the flip side. I So I do like that. I never knew it was called deadpan comedy. Me and then either. on the flip side of it, I love when comedians crack up at their own jokes. Like they're trying to yes. tell you a story and they have to yes. stop and laugh at themselves and can't yes. continue. That's also great. <laughs> so, so that's like a, a Mike Epps or a Joe Coy. They, mm-hmm. I love that too. Like they'll laugh at that. I'm like, yes, that was funny. So it's like, we're laughing together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. That is great. Um, okay. So I, I want to just kind of understand too. So I know you, you gave us all this, this background that you have, uh, what are, what are the main benefits? Cause you hear career coaching and I, I kind of have like a bit of a, a surface level understanding of maybe what it is. I'm sure my audience as well but I'm sure there's a lot that we're missing. So can you give me a brief like overview of like what that actually means? Yeah. So from a career coach standpoint, um, our our clients, so we have a a membership program and we call our members legends. They actually name themselves. And so I'm like, Hey, legends Mm -hmm. going on. Um, In career coaching, most people think that it's really all about someone helping you to navigate the external hiring process, meaning how do I uh, fill out this application the right way? How do I make sure that my resume stands out? So I call that the external process. But I actually spend more time helping people to navigate what's happening inside of them, right? It's the imposter syndrome, the, mm-hmm. you know, am I ready for this next position? Should I leave this company? When should I leave them? I don't think that they're treating me fairly within it. And so we, we work through a lot of the emotions that surround the job search. And uh, I share with people often that a good career coach can help you, uh, number one, identify what your desires are. And okay. they can take a goal that seems far away and in black and white, and they can bring it closer and put color to it. So it seems more attainable. And so um, not only are we helping people to work through what's happening internally, we're also helping people to identify what they truly desire and rid themselves of everyone else's desires for them. Right. You know, the, the employer who says, I, I know where I want your career to go, or your parents who said, I think that you should go down this route. So we have to rid ourselves of everyone else's desire and say, what do I desire? Which and is a good thing to keep in mind that. in life in general, right? Like, what are your actual yes. desires? Yeah. Yes. Do you, do you know how little we as humans sit and think about what is it that I desire? The biggest reason why we don't get what we want is because most of us don't know what we want. Ooh. Isn't that deep? That is so <laughs> deep. The gems. <laughs> okay. So to, to touch on that, then how are you tracking or maybe there's another method in which you use, but how are you tracking the progress of your clients? Yeah, so um, when people do determine what it is that they desire, we, then we get on a plan, okay? So some people may have an ultimate desire, for example, of being their own boss, starting their own business. Mm-hmm. But that ultimate desire, maybe three or four years down the road, 
okay, so then what are those steps that we have to take in order to position yourself so that three or four years down the road, you are at, you're ready now for what it is that you want. And so uh, that plan that we create may be a, I need a different position today uh, before I leave the corporate America. And so we track success on how, how quickly can you get to that newer position? How quickly, for some people, success looks like, how quickly can we get you to the level that you were supposed to have already been two years ago? Right? Because some people are behind in their own careers because they just haven't realized how much value they already hold. So, so for some, it's like, how do we get you to where you really are supposed to be today? And then how do we get you to the next level? And so we'll have those conversations. And then I'll have some uh, legends who they'll say something really quickly in a conversation. It'll be something like, yeah, I know that I'm working on this, this job opportunity and I'm applying to positions over here, but you know, I really should have finished writing that book. And then they'll, they'll, they'll skirt past it really quickly and I'll listen to them and then I'll come back and I'll say, hey, tell me a little bit more about that book. You wouldn't imagine the number of people who are afraid to say what their truest desires are because for them, it doesn't really seem possible. And so they'll sort of keep it to themselves and sometimes it may leak out, but a good coach will read between the lines. They'll read behind you know, what the words are that you're actually using today and then we'll bring that on the front end. And as soon as I hear that, I won't let that person let it go. We can follow this path, but I also want to make sure that you're curating those things that you truly desire along the way too, like writing a book. Right. So yeah. you you mentioned that you'll have some clients that may want to start their own business. And personally, I would look at career coaching as someone that's just, I don't want to say only helping someone climb the corporate ladder, but you'll usually think of it as someone that has an employer. So how do you and it, maybe the book is a good example, but how do you, is it different in which you're working with people that want to start their own business versus people that are working for an employer? Yeah, I know I'm going to botch this when I say it, uh, but I try to talk to people about careers. So some people, so a career is a career. Some people have a career where they're betting on themselves through an employer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And some people have a career where they're betting on themselves through their own business, but both are careers. And so I see myself as a career coach to make sure that you're maximizing your career, whether you decide to bet on yourself through an employer or whether you decide to bet on yourself through your own business. Now, I have not gotten into a space where, and a lot of people have been asking me, about, you know, can you offer some business coaching and things like that? I have not gotten into that space formally of offering business coaching. My goal is if today you're betting on yourself through an employer, how do we maximize that experience so that when you feel comfortable to begin to bet on yourself through your own business, you're positioned well? Does that make sense? Yes. You're saying your position. So Let's you leverage your team. employer. Okay. Yes. Yes. Let's leverage yes. your success yes. there. Okay. Yes. And a lot of people aren't thinking about that. And I love that word. How, how do we leverage our current employer so that by the time we're done 
giving to them what they're paying us to deliver, that we're also gaining from them. So it's a it's a win-win scenario. Employer, I'm giving to you what I promised, but in the same token, I'm also exploring what resources I can gain while I'm here that's going to set me up for success later when I'm right. trying to be an entrepreneur. And a, a great example of that is um, if I know that I want to start my own um, consulting business in diversity recruiting. Um, an, an ideal scenario would be maybe I'll go and work for an employer right now because I'm not ready today to start my own business. So maybe I'll go and work for an employer that does consulting in the DEI space and I'm giving them 110% of me. Mm. But I'm not forgetting that while I'm in this space, I should be networking. I should be learning. I should be taking notes so that when it's time for me to go and open my own business, I now have the resources um, available to me that now I feel more comfortable starting this business over here. People aren't thinking about that. I actually tell people to enter with your exit strategy. Any new role that you go into, enter with your exit strategy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's it's um, it's that it's mutually exclusive. You're developing yourself in the process. And I think a lot of times either one people are just not thinking about that or they feel guilty when they're doing that, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's they're just thinking like this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do. Even if they're off the clock, I can't be thinking about like what I might be gaining from them and how it's going to help me later because that is that is like their thing. I can't take from them. They'll see it as like they're taking secrets or you know, no one's saying like still connect, still client. No, no one's, one's saying, saying to do that. that. Yeah. Not at all. Thank you for saying that as well. <laughs> but but I want people to realize that when you bet on yourself through an employer, the biggest benefit that you can give yourself is to ensure that it's a mutually beneficial experience mm-hmm. for the employer and for yourself. Yeah. Which, and even if you're there, <clears throat> let's say you're gaining all this knowledge for two years and then you continue working for another two, that's still helping them. You're still developing 100%. yourself and you're still working there. Yeah. Totally 100%. get it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So jumping back a little bit when you're talking about having the legends figure out what their desires are. Yeah. How are you, how are we getting them from A, A to A to Z or like, how are we, how are you pushing them outside of their comfort zone? to like, even it's like, okay, I think I'm starting to realize what my desires are, <clears throat> but how do I actually run with that? Like, is there a bit of like resistance? I'm like, oh, this is where I'm comfortable and I don't really want to move over here. Absolutely. Yeah. So one quick point that I'll uh, make is that I can't tell people what they desire and and I right so I create a space where people feel comfortable exploring what could potentially be a desire for them Uh, and so so some people for example if they have no clue because you have different groups of people you have some people who have no they've never even thought about what they desire and so I'll give them an exercise of hey you know over the weekend I just want you to to fantasize about um, what would you be doing and how would you be doing it? And just, I'll just give them different questions within an exercise just to fantasize about it. And then we'll start making it more concrete um, along the way. And then you have another group of people who they know what they desire. They're just, um, they don't believe that they're enough 
to say it out loud. They don't believe that they are enough for that desire to be theirs. And so they're afraid to say it out loud. And so my job is to help to uh, create a safe space where they feel comfortable saying it out loud for the first time, right? Uh, And then there are people who are like, I know exactly what I want. I just don't know how in the world to get there, right? And so- So my goal is to sort of move people through to the point of, I know exactly what I want and to to stand on that. And so one of the things that we begin to do is we have an exercise called a why statement, W-H-Y, a why statement where um, I I believe that the what you're doing will eventually stop mattering without the why. If you remember why you're doing the thing, it, uh, it makes the hard times easier. And if you are ambitious, one thing that you are guaranteed to have are challenges in, in reaching that ambition, right? You're guaranteed okay. to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I won't digress too much on that, but, um, but I do talk about that a lot. So people know that upfront that have a why statement. And in that why statement, I have them write out clearly what is happening that's making them happy. And so we'll start that why statement off with moving toward my highest career potential looks like X. I am doing Y, I am earning Z. And you know, here's who's uh, waiting for me to arrive and here's who is my cheerleader. And so I'll have them do that exercise and keep, and it's a succinct why statement, they'll keep it somewhere on their desk. So we start there and then we just, we build from there. It's like, okay, now that I see your why statement and now that it's giving you goosebumps, now let's plan from there. If it's too generic, then I'll say, okay, another exercise is, I want you to go out and find an actual um, job description that is close to that why statement. And that's just look at it. Let's look at what the basic qualifications are, what the desired qualifications Mm. are. And let's find out which ones do you meet directly which ones do you not need at all? And then which ones do you need indirectly by way of transferable skills? So there's just a lot of exercises and activities yeah. that we need to get there. Mm-hmm. You actually bring up a really good point. Um, so I hear this a lot, but people will ask, do I need to meet 100% of the requirements on a job description? Yeah, uh, my answer to that is if you meet 100% of the requirements for a job description, mm-hmm. you're already overqualified, mm-hmm. right? You're already, if you meet 100% of the requirements for the job description, you're already, so I have to shift mindsets. Like it's not enough for me to say, you don't have to meet 100% of the qualifications because when you're in that mindset of thinking that you do, it's not enough to say you don't have to meet it. I have to say, if you meet 100%, you're already overqualified. And then the light bulb goes off. You're like, wait a minute, I am overqualified because if I meet. And so we then talk about stretch positions. And so uh, the way in which we do our work in, in the inner circle is when you're out looking for jobs, I want a percentage of your jobs to be jobs where you know that you're going to be a shoe in like they would be lucky to have mm-hmm. me there right um, and then you want a percentage of the jobs where you're like okay this would be a lateral move for me but it's in a different industry and i'm gaining new expertise and then i want you to have another percentage of the jobs which is the highest percentage of jobs that would be stretch opportunities for you like jobs where if you actually got that job offer you'd knock your own socks off you'd be surprised <laughs> that you got that job but we have to yeah. bundle it up together because um because 
the people that uh, I typically coach in our community, um, they're looking for those jobs where they meet 100% of the qualifications. But now if we start bundling it up, it doesn't feel so risky applying to a few stretch job opportunities because I know I have these shoe ins. Right. It's it, it always is it's always so satisfying to me when someone's like Jen, I got this stretch opportunity. I'm like, of course you did. <laughs> I saw your flawlessness when you walked through the door. <laughs> right. And now you see it. And yeah. now you see it they need that push. That's awesome. So is there an actual, and maybe this yeah. depends on the clients or like an actual percentage that you'll give people of, of these are the, you know where I'm going. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, so so what this looks like is our strategy is we'll go after um, 10 jobs. Like, I don't want people to go after two or three. I want you to be very intentional about 10 jobs. Your first three are the shoe-in jobs. Your next three are the lateral moves. And your last four are the actual stretch mm, opportunities. I like that. Okay. Yep. And then, and when one job falls off, you're out of your queue of 10, you add another one on there. Okay. And so you right. keep the momentum okay. that way. So how would someone, because I know you mentioned sometimes, it's, you know, maybe you have a lot of the qualifications, so it's in a different field. So that's going to, you know, shift things there. How can someone essentially pivot into a completely different line of work? Say some of the things kind of sound like qualifications they have in their current field, but they're not quite, you know, matching up because they're going from marketing to education and it might change things um obviously there you'll need a certification but like how will you you know kind of guide someone in that way yeah I think that there are there are two things that I talk about and I hope I don't forget one when I talk about the other so the very first thing is when people are saying hey I want to pivot into a new industry um I want to shift their thinking a little bit to a you can pivot outside of your specific industry, but still look at an opportunity that's industry adjacent, right? So as an example, if, if I've been working in the finance industry, let's say banking, um, if, if you're coming to me and I'm your career coach and you're like, hey, I want to get outside of banking, but I still want to be as competitive as possible, where do I go? Maybe fintech. Right, maybe organizations that create technology for the banking industry. Why not that? And so instead of saying I'm going to make this huge leap and do a 360 and go over here, no. Instead, we're going to look at industry adjacent organizations next, and then as a plan C, we can look at some other companies. The second thing that I share with people too, so it goes back to that exercise that I was talking about before. It's like okay. If you know that you want to pivot and you already have an idea of the type of job that you're looking for, go and grab that job description. Actually, as a matter of fact, go and grab three job descriptions, three different companies, same job title. And then I want you to do this exercise. This exercise is um, direct, indirect, and not at all, right? So when you look at the qualifications, just the basic qualifications or the required qualifications, which ones do you absolutely meet direct? which ones are transferable skills, indirect, and then which ones do you not need at all? And I want you to look at it across all three. What patterns do you see? And so this is gonna show you how near or how far you are from those job opportunities. Now, let's say maybe for all three, um, you may be missing one of the basic qualifications, but you still wanna go after that job. I'm all for it, let's go after this together. But what I really want you to do is I want you 
to know for yourself without a shadow of a doubt how you meet directly or indirectly meet those qualifications. Because what happens is for many job seekers, the first time that they're thinking about how they meet qualifications that they, that they indirectly qualify for, the first time they're thinking about that is when they're in the interview and someone's asking them. So you're not as confident and that confidence is the key. But if you plan ahead of time and you're like, yes, I know that I, I know that I know that I meet this one. Yes, I indirectly meet this one. If you practice that indirect one enough, enough, your messaging is going to be so confident that they're not going to care. They're like, oh yeah, you think it's indirect, but you yeah. actually do, right? Because you practice it enough before you've gone in there and you're able to speak to it that way. So we do exercise. See, and you like remember that. the second one too. <laughs> I do believe, I can't believe it because I usually say So, <laughs> okay. So how does this apply? Does this exercise apply when someone is, say, gearing their resume or a cover letter to trying to pivot in a different industry and how so? Yeah, so yes. If someone is saying, so a recruiter who is out looking at different resumes, a recruiter should be able to look at your resume and say, Without a shadow of a doubt, yes, this person meets the qualifications. Those are the folks that get the that get moved to the next round if you apply for a job through a system. So somewhere within your resume, you should at minimum address the basic, at least the basic or required qualifications in the resume. And it shouldn't be a that the recruiters looking at a resume, they're like, I think this person does. No, it should be a, <laughs> hell yes, this person right. does meet this qualification. Even if, even if you state it in the resume where you're like, I have done X, Y, and Z, and it just so happens to be one of the required qualifications inside of the actual job description. That is how you get a recruiter's attention. Don't ever, if you ever leave it to the recruiter to have to figure out for themselves if you meet it or not, they're going to pass. They're, they're likely to just be like, I don't feel like figuring this out because they have so many things to do. And so you want to make it, I tell people that you want to make your qualifications jump up and slap a recruiter in the <laughs> <Okay>. face <laughs> because it's Wait, so right, obvious right. to them. Okay. Um, and would you say that that is the ultimate like secret to writing a great resume or, you know, doing a great resume or a cover letter is just making sure that those key things, it's, it's very apparent and not a a guessing game. It's, it's one, it's one of the, the secrets, right? So, cause there are some others as well too. Um, Another one, for example, is what story is your resume telling about you? What narrative is it sharing? And so as an example, is your resume giving an indication of a career of progression that, hey, you know, I started with this organization, I moved on over here and it was a a promotional opportunity. Then I went over here and got this degree over here because this degree matched what I was trying to do over here. And then I got this award and I get, and so it's this whole progressive story where they can tell that all around that that you've had a progressive career and that people have seen um, your talents and, And then I would say like another insight too is 
that when someone looks at your story, like your narrative through your resume, you want them to walk away saying, absolutely, they are ready now for this position, not ready with development, not ready with that, like they're ready now, like this is the, the logical next step for this person, which is the position that I have open today. Right. You want recruiters okay. saying that. And then some common you know, questions that are out there are, does it matter how many pages I have in my resume? Should I have all of my experience on there? Like your views on having multiple versions of a resume? Yeah, so I do believe that resumes should be um, customized to the openings, to the job openings that you're applying to. Um, I also want to reiterate that recruiters aren't going to spend a lot of time looking at your resume. And so if you have a 10-page resume, nobody's going to go through that. You probably won't even go through that (laughs) yourself. And so I think ideally, now it is more acceptable to have a resume that's two or three pages, but the more you can get it down to one to two pages, that's great. And um, what, um, and then, yeah, I would say those two things. There was another thought that I had in my mind too, but I can't even, I can't remember that right now, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you for your vote of confidence. Uh, Okay. So another question is your views on disc assessments. Why do companies use them? Uh, I hear a lot of people say that they're, they're kind of there to set you up to fail. What are your thoughts? So, um, so it's funny. I don't know if you, if you saw this somewhere, but um, I've actually been a disc trainer. Oh, I I did see this. This is also a question I've gotten. Yes. This is why I wanted to make sure I asked you. (laughs) I do my research. (laughs) So, so yes. Um, so companies are using assessments in general. I I do like the the disc assessment, but I'm probably biased in it. Right. But also, I don't know other disc trainers, so you're you're gonna have a unique perspective as well. That's too funny. So, um, so uh, companies are looking for ways, sort of silver bullets, to say this person is gonna be a great person on this team. But what I have to remind employers is that using assessments in general are um, it should be a tool, one of many tools to evaluate a person. So don't just use an assessment like a DISC assessment and say, oh, they're a high D for dominance and and, a person like that would be great on this team. No, because there are other factors to include as well too. But I am a big fan of assessments that can give you an idea of how how someone Mm -hmm would behave because a DISC assessment, people look at them as like their personality assessments, but they're more assessments to help you to get an idea of how people will behave in different circumstances. And um, and so it's, it's a great tool to use, but it shouldn't be the only tool used to be an indicator of someone's success on the job. I actually have some listener questions here that I'd like to go through. Let's do it. One of my favorite parts. Okay, um, hopefully we'll have some time to run through these, but what is the top tip you have to nail an interview? And maybe you have multiple. So um, I'm, I'm always going to botch this question, but it, you'll get the, the gist of the question. Okay. <clears throat> so one of the things that, um, that candidates run into is that they'll leave an interview and they may get rejected for the job and they get no feedback. They have no idea of why they didn't get the job. What I share with our legends is I want you to get feedback 
before you walk out of that interview, okay? And here's what it looks like to try to get feedback before the interview closes. The, the interviewer, you know how the interviewer will say, um, those are all the questions that I have. Are there any questions that you have for me? And then you will say, absolutely have one more question. Is there anything that I have or have not shared with you that would leave you feeling anything other than 100% confident that I'm the right person for this position? I'll say it again. So <laughs> is there anything that I have or have not shared with you that would make you feel anything other than 100% confident that I'm the right person for this position. Here's why this question is so important. Typically what happens is when the candidate leaves the interview, uh, the, that hiring manager, this is a great question specifically for the hiring manager, <clears throat> that hiring manager has some time to process their thoughts, and but they know during your interview, especially as you're wrapping it up, they know what those red flags are. And by you asking this question, you're not leaving space for that interviewer to come back to you with some generic, we decided to move on with other candidates who are more close to qualify, blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. So they don't have time to think about what is the politically correct way to answer that question. And so what they're likely, what they're more likely to say is, actually, there is this one thing that was on my mind that, that I wasn't quite sure about. And now you're opening dialogue. And so you're, and you're getting that feedback directly from the person who would make the ultimate selection decision. Now, here's another space where people go wrong. That, so the interviewer will say, well, you know, I thought that you had more experience in this area and I would have liked to have seen more experience, but it doesn't really mean that we're not gonna consider you for the job. It's just something that's on my mind. And the candidate will say, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate you for sharing that feedback. And then they'll go home. No, that is not <laughs> what we're going to do. If you're listeners of this podcast, what you're going to do instead is this is now your prime opportunity to close the gap. So if the manager is saying to you, hey, you know, I thought that you had more experience and da, 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 then you're going to say, do you mind if I, if I provide a little bit of clarity to that? And then you're going to come back in and you're going to share some updates to clarify, to close the gap, to show that you have experience in a certain area. But if you just don't have experience in that area, maybe there's like transferable skills you can talk about, but do not let that opportunity go to close the gap. And then once you close the gap, then you can leave from that interview that way. But do not wait. If you wait until after that interview is over, you have to understand that recruiters are trained to give generic feedback. And the reason why they're trained to give generic feedback is that it protects the organization from liability, from someone using the feedback that you're sharing um, in a nice way as the recruiter to say, oh, you know, they're doing something unfair or discriminatory or something like that. Right. So that's why recruiters do that. But I'm trying to get recruiters to share feedback because when we don't, people walk away, people, job seekers walk away thinking that there's something wrong with them. And- mm -hmm. And a lot of time, more times than, than not, it has nothing to do with them why they didn't get the job. It has more to do with just like other factors that are happening behind the scenes, like somebody internally raised their hand and said they wanted the job or just something else happened. But feedback is so important emotionally, if nothing else, as you're right. moving through the hiring process. So what is the 
magic <clears throat> when you're trying to close those gaps, right? And you said maybe you don't have any exact qualifications or uh, you might have more transferable skills there. How do you clarify that information without, and maybe we just kind of use another scenario to illustrate the, the point, but how do you close the gap without coming off sounding desperate or every time maybe they have three or four points they're concerned about and you just it's without responding oh no but I do have that you know what I mean like kind of still holding your own yeah. confident level and like having some dignity and not just like please believe me here <laughs> <laughs> don't don't let this go I yeah. can do stuff. so um let's talk about uh confidence for a second right, right? because especially as I'm working with um with women and people of color in particular, this, this whole idea of like, there's a thin line to us around what's confident and what's arrogant. And so a lot of people don't even get close to um, presenting themselves as confident for fear of being arrogant. And I'm like, no, don't even worry about that. And here's what I say, here's how I shift the mindset again. Um, there's nothing arrogant about facts, okay? Facts are facts are facts. And so, so being able to state certain facts is um, it helps to add confidence that you can actually deliver without it coming across as arrogant. Here's an example. I remember the first time that I used this question myself because you know I I don't just give advice that um, that I, <laughs> that I haven't seen um, personally successful as well. And I remember it was the first time that I was entering into. I was a manager trying to get into a director level position and the VP who was interviewing me said, after I asked him the questions, anything I have or didn't blah, blah, blah. And the, the VP came back and said, well, I actually thought that you had um, more management experience. Like I have been a manager longer. Um, and then I said, do you mind if I you know, add a little color, add some clarification to that? I shared with him mm -hmm. that um, I said, you, you don't see this on my resume, but um, I've actually, uh, I started an organization called Women of Acumen where I teach um, women um, how to be leaders. And so I've actually had this organization for the last X number of years. We have X number of people in the organization today. So I wear many leadership hats. I've been doing this for a long time. And so even though you may not see it as formal experience in the workplace, it's those same competencies that allows us to be successful over here, boom. Right. Mm, so yeah. so it's a fact like it is it is not me saying, hey, please desperately give me this job. It's literally me just closing the gap. It's me providing clarification. It's me debunking um, a myth or a misconception that they may have. But you have to you meaning any of us interviewing, we have to know our value for ourselves um, and then to state the fact that way. When I'm going to share one other thing that's completely off topic, but I can I'm going to bring it back full circle. Um, <clears throat> when people first enter inner circle, one of the things that I ask them is, uh, "Tell me about your interviewing experience. How far do you usually get into the hiring process before you've experienced rejection?" Because I can typically um, make an assumption around what may be their hurdle based on how far they're getting through the interview process. And so if someone comes to me and says, yeah, I make it to the final interview, I just don't get the job. The, the job typically goes to the other person. I then, one of the key assumptions that I make is confidence. And again, so, and it, so again, it goes back to um, 
um, women and people of color that I've run into that we've had more of these conversations. Moreover, it's one thing to be confident that you can do the position. And that's where we are. That's where we stand. We are, a, we are confident that we can get it done. But do we project that confidence? Probably not. And that hiring manager must not only do we need to do we need to be confident, but that hiring manager must walk away feeling confident that we can get the job done. And so one of the things that I tell, one of the, the, the secrets that I share with legends is that even if you're uncomfortable projecting confidence for fear of being arrogant, sometimes just the language that we use can really help to seal the deal. And language could look like, um, I am confident that I can get this job done. I am confident mm -hmm. that I'm the person that you're looking for. Sometimes even just throwing in the word confident can let that person feel more confident that you can do the job. Right. Hmm. I hope you guys are taking notes here. <laughs> okay. Coming. Yeah. Um, this is actually a great question that I want to go into next to follow off what you said. It's how to not feel, how do you not feel completely defeated when going through a rigorous hiring process and still not getting chosen? Yeah. The hardest part, hmm, two things. The I tell people often that the interviewing process is a deeply emotional process. When you really, really want a job and all of this great stuff, and then you start putting all this pressure on yourself. My job as a career coach is to make it less emotional for you um, so that you can just, so you can show up as your better self so that you can have more stamina in doing it because it's the emotional part of it that is exhausting when you start feeling defeated and, and things like that. So one of the things that I'll go back to is feedback because if you've gone through this whole process and you don't get the job at the end, it, it may suck not getting that job offer. However, if you find out through feedback that it was literally that this person that they did select for the position actually had this specific qualification that you know that you didn't have, it actually, it, it lessens that impact just a smidge, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that can help to lessen the load. And then the second part too is, I'm very intentional about the 10 positions. And when one falls off, put the other one on is because I also want people to understand that the hiring process is also like a numbers game too, right? And, and, and if we have multiple jobs in queue, and if we have multiple interviews in queue, it's not so emotional to us. We're not, it's hard to be emotional deeply emotionally tied to the outcomes of multiple positions at once. There may be one right. that's like, oh yeah, I, I would like to have this one. This is my top of, among the three, but it's, it's less, it's less personal if we don't get this job <clears throat> because we're still in the interview process on two more jobs. And then we're still working on a couple of other leads. So it's, it's very intentional that we do 10 jobs and we just keep the queue going that way. I like that. Okay. Yes. Because yeah, I totally agree with you. It's very emotionally um, charged going through all these interviews, especially if it's a, a rigorous process. You know, some people have one interview, some people have four or five and you're doing this for one week to two months, you know, so how can you not be tied to it? Let me add in one more thing, because you just made me think about that a sec just now too. Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that I share with legends as well is as early in the process as possible, learn about the interview logistics. So the more we know up front, the more we can plan for how long this process is going to take. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why we can get exhausted through the process is because we didn't, we're on our third interview and then we hear there's a fourth interview or a fifth interview. We're like, good gracious. But if you know up front that they're going to be, this is going to take a long time. They're going to be five different sets of interviews. You can begin to prepare your mindset that this is going to be a longer than normal process. And so it won't, you're, you're better prepared for that endurance than on the back end. Right. Okay. And then you can also maybe, you know, someone's doing one interview a week versus maybe two, two within a week. It's fair yeah. to maybe ask, how long or like when do they think they'll make a decision by right so you're not just guessing absolutely. how long these five interviews might be stretched out absolutely like like your very last interview so when you know that you've made it to the the final interview it is completely acceptable to say how soon do you plan to make a hiring decision mm-hmm. and um and and of course whatever they tell you take it with a grain of salt because as interviewers and recruiters we have the best intentions to make the quickest hiring decisions, but then life happens, work happens, fires happen, all that happens. And then it takes us three times as long to do it. Um, However, with with asking the question, how soon before you um, intend to make a hiring decision, you can get a sense of, is it like immediately, like yesterday, like we need to, oh, we're trying to make a hiring decision ASAP. We should know something by the end of the week. And then your next question could become, okay, um, would it be okay if, um, if let's say in another week and a half, if I haven't heard back, if I just check back in. So now you have their approval to, and you don't need their approval to check back in. All you really need is an idea of their, of their timeline where you're able to say, hey, I uh, was talking to you when you had mentioned that uh, you'd like to have been have made a hiring decision by Friday of this week. It's Monday. I just wanted to check in on my status, period, and just see what they say from there. Yeah. Okay. Cause actually the next question was, is it following up good or does it come off as desperate? Anything else you want to add to that? Following up is necessary. And so, um, it's not desperate at all. Uh, so how do I say this in a way that it, it really gets through? It is, um, it is an expectation of your role as a job seeker to follow up. And now if, if people are, if recruiters just being non-responsive, you know, you've tried three times in three different ways and you just haven't gotten anything back, then just leave it be and wait for them to follow back up with you. But but most of the time, I want people to get into the habit as a part of your interviewing process that you're going to follow up every two weeks or so on that job opportunity. It's no different mm-hmm. than, than being a business owner. I would have, I wish someone would have told me a long time ago, the necessity of following up um, to people. And so we tend to make it personal that, oh, if they wanted to hire me, they would have followed back up with me already when they said that they would. Nope, because they have a million That's what I've done. (laughs) I know that's what I've done, yeah. So you're saying once every two weeks, but a max of, you said two to three times? Well, um, once every two weeks, but if they're still being responsive, and two weeks goes by, follow up again. Two weeks goes by, follow up again. The thing is, if they're being unresponsive and you've right. tried three different times in three different ways, when I say three different ways, I mean email, a phone call, or an email on LinkedIn or something, right? And if they've not responded that way, then you can just let it sit. Uh, but yeah, like even on the business end, 
if I had started taking it personally, like if they really wanted me to do this work, then they would have called me. No, they have a million things going on. You yes. have to keep your own self as a priority to them. And so we take that same approach in business too. Jen, I loved getting to talk to you and just dive into these listener questions and all the information that you can provide to us. And I would love to continue the conversation. So do you think you can join me next week and we can dive into some more questions? Yes, let's do it. I'm here for it.